Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Um, I am rushing in and just sat down, uh, having been at the Salute to the Military event, my guest today, same scenario. And uh, not unusual to see Dave Dennis, who's going to be joining us now at an event like like Salute to the Military, because his commitment to his business and the way he has grown his business, specialty contractor over all, all these years, is only rivaled by his commitment to the community over a bunch of years. So we're going to visit today with Dave for the entire show because we're going to we're going to spend time just kind of catching up on what's happening in coastal Mississippi. We're going to talk about the Federal Reserve and the economic situation he haven't formed haven't been a member of the regional Fed here. And uh, so he's got a good good kind of sense of business environment and also sort of what's going on, on the national stage. So without any further ado, let's welcome my friend Dave Dennis back to Coast View. How you doing, my friend? Good morning again, Ricky, and you did a great job emceeing the salute to the military, and I'm going to make a little quick commentary on that. Uh, the military is a major part of the community on the coast of Mississippi, and certainly in, in most areas that have a military presence. And when you looked in that room today and you saw several hundred uh, of our soldiers and sailors and airmen and, and coast guardsmen uh, in their in Marine Corps folks in their in their fatigue some of them uh perhaps in in military dress but that is a sign of what really has been the backbone of our community for years and years long before gaming came along the gaming industry exploded here in the early 90s but they are such an integral part of it and they're the there are the troops that come out and help if we have a storm or need some kind of jump start and help but day in and day out the military truly has been the backbone of the economy on the coast and and certainly a viable part of the community itself. So I thought the salute, uh, we've pretty well skipped it the last two years with uh, with COVID concerns, but a real good venue, uh, excellent MC and Ricky Matthews today, but it uh, it is nice to recognize the men and women that uh, serve our country. And Senator Wicker did a really good job today uh, highlighting those comments also. Yeah, it was a special event. And yeah, of course you and I, we've been going to the salute to the military forum 30 years, more than 30 uh, years. Some, somewhere in that range or more, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's one of the, you know, I, I think that as as an employee of the Sun-Herald and then as a publisher of the Sun-Herald, we always felt very strongly about the military. But I think I always had a bit of an insight that maybe the average person didn't have because we published the Keesler News at the Sun-Herald and also yeah. uh, the CB Courier. And because of those two publications and the fact that we had employees engaged in that effort, we had this just really ongoing, extraordinarily positive relationship with those two bases. But one of the things I wanted to do here on Coastview is every chance I get to really focus on it. You know, like the average person doesn't realize when they think about the CB base in Gulfport, they see this thing that's a little bit off the beaten path. Uh, going down, you know, take take that right on Broad Avenue, going north to, and if you stay on it, you'll eventually yeah. run into the CB base. You don't really appreciate what they're doing, but these men and women who come through the CB base are literally deployed 
all over the world. They're, they're, they go to staging areas in Asia. They go to staging areas in Rota, Spain. And they are, you know, some of, some of the, uh, some of their assignments we know about, some of them we don't know about because they're, they're military mission related. Uh, they do a lot of humanitarian work all over the world. But that's coming through right here. If you think about, you know, just more recently, you think about the hurricane hunters coming out of Keesler. And, yeah. I mean, we could literally just spend the rest well, of the show you, talking you, about you could, you, you could. You could talk about Stennis Space Center where uh, everything from the Saturn V rockets to the, the current series of, of uh, propulsion uh, components are going up. The supercomputers, you can talk unless something's just very recently changed. When you look at the Weather Channel, the uplinks are coming out of Stennis Space Center in Hancock County. You go all along the coast. You mentioned CB Base, uh, Camp Shelby. I saw uh, uh, Colonel Weaver, Rick Weaver today, that's uh, commander up there. And it, it's that's where most of your military, most of your Army uh, reservists train at some point during their uh, during their career. Your Tech Training Center at Keesler, same thing, Ingle Shipbuilding. Uh, if you want to consider that a Department of Defense uh, component, and, and it by and large, it, it's almost exclusively Department of Defense uh, as their customer. But they're just just the entire coastal area is fortunately laden with uh, some extraordinarily uh, successful private ventures, and also certainly the the military itself ventures. But it's um, it's a good place to be, and military has been a big big part of it and today. I think highlighted that, and I think we need to recognize. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we're back to recognizing, I should say, the military and the impact that they have on this community. And then, of course, Coast Guard. You think about you think about Ingalls, yeah. and you mentioned Stennis Space Center, but you know, I, I, t- I call those the bookends. You get with Ingalls on one end and Stennis on the other. But there's a military presence even at Ingalls. Imagine the work that they're doing and how important it is for our nation, literally around the world. You know, I felt that I, I really was impressed by Roger Wicker's comments today. Um, I really admire him, in, incidentally, for his uh, his support of, of Ukraine. I, I have a strong belief that what's happening in Ukraine is something that better stay in Ukraine. <laughs> you know, we've well, got to beat so. off this. So. we got to beat off that madman. And, uh, you know, I, I don't like the way that there's, it's become a political talking point that we shouldn't be spending the money to help Ukraine because, you know, literally he made the point very clear that America has to stand strong or we're going to have a, we're going to have some challenges with the People's Republic of China. And uh, oh, yeah. it all sort of connects, doesn't it, Dave? Well, 100 percent. And, you know, the Taiwanese are certainly having concerns. And, you know, does that mean it? It spills over into Hong Kong or other areas. Who knows in, in Southeast Asia and, and certainly in the uh, Southwest Asia portion of, of the world, too, where you have uh, so many of the petroleum concerns and, and other real concerns. But with respect to Ukraine, realistically, do you want to defend a Ukrainian-Russian border or do you want to defend a Polish-Ukrainian uh, border that's a NATO ally? And you. You just got to you've got to make a decision. Where do you draw a line? And uh, I thought Central Wicker's comments about Zelensky. He just said, uh, "Send me send me some ammo. I don't need a ride to get out of here." Two days after Russia invaded, you know, most people were thinking he was going to pop a chopper and and leave, like we saw in Saigon uh, back in the seventies. But realistically, he just said, uh, "Give us give us some weapons, and we'll go to work." And that's by golly what those people have done. And Regardless of your allegiances, which I hope uh, America's with them almost exclusively, you got to say, dang, they 
they put up a fight just like after we have a storm here, we got to look at ourselves and say, who's going to, you know, give us the ability and the strength to rise up out of the ashes. And it's going to be yourself. And that's what I think the Ukrainians are doing. They're saying, this is our land. Uh, we're going to stick with it. So yeah, you got to, Ricky, you do have to draw a line. And if you don't show strength there, then I think you're very, very vulnerable in many other uh, parts of the world. Dave, I had the opportunity uh, to meet someone who is an American who has lived in Ukraine now for 15 years, who considers Ukraine home now. Yeah. And uh, she works for foster care uh, institutions there. She's a, um, she's, she's a, a, essentially a volunteer. And she's done amazing work with helping kids that, whose parents have been killed in war find homes. And uh, one of those homes is my cousin's daughter has, has actually um, uh, adopted two kids from Ukraine. And this friend that she introduced me to, who's, who's been on the show a couple of times, incidentally, I watched the war through her eyes. And it's so, it's so easy to think of it as this distant land, you know, and, and kind of push it in the back of your mind. But when you talk to her and see that they love their country the same as we love our country, they love their democracy the same as we love their democracy, yeah. our, our democracy. You know, the, the, we love, you know, we have problems in, in, in you know, our government and politics. I mean, they have the same thing. But at the end of the day, what's in the heart and soul of Ukrainians is very similar to what's in the heart and soul of Americans. And uh, all they want is their freedom. They, want, they don't want to have to deal with this, this devil they call Putin. And... Um, it's sad to watch, and you know, on that level, on the human level, it's terrible. But when you think about the sort of the the national, international, strategic level, and the relationship to NATO and all of that, man, this is a really important moment for America. And I think we've performed well so far. And as he pointed out, Roger Wicker pointed out today, we don't need. We hasn't. He hasn't asked for. Uh, Zelensky has not asked for one no, troop. No, no, no troop know, just, support. None at all. And they are, think of the work that they're doing to beat Russia back. Davis really, imp I mean, after all well, this it's, time, it's, it's impressive. impressive. I mean, it's, it, it's pride, it's impressive. And uh, you talk about, you know, the people in Ukraine want democracy, they want generally the same things we do. You can look at a grandmother sitting on the front porch, be it in the Delta, Mississippi, or the coast of Mississippi, or, or sitting out in, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming on a porch. The grandparents want the same thing for their grandchildren as parents, by and large, want for their children. And that's, the opportunity to succeed. It's no different in other countries. I can promise you a lot of the Russian families feel the same way. You know, those kids from Russia that are going over to fight uh, in Ukraine, you know, is their heart in it? Who knows? Who knows? But uh, uh, it's, it's, it's actually pretty clear their heart may not be in it. But no, hey, listen, we're coming to the end of this segment. This is Dave Dennis for Specialty Contractors, longtime community leader, ran for governor at one point along the way. When we come back, yeah, we'll got continue lucky the conversation. Came in second on that one. <laughs> we'll see you after this. or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. 
This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm my friend Dave Dennis, longtime community leader. Uh, he owns a business that uh, does a lot of commercial work. We'll tell you more about what his business is here in a second. But at the ground level, specialty contractors can really get a sense of what's the mood in, in business in coastal Mississippi and really around the region. And then, of course, David has has David's had uh, big involvement with the Federal Reserve over the many years. So he has a little bit of a, a finger on the pulse, you might say, to the sort of the, the national situation. And we'll get into that in just a second. Hey, Dave, why don't you tell people more about what, da- what specialty contractors is? Well, Ricky, we're uh, a commercial subcontractor primarily. We do some prime contracting or general contracting work, but by and large, you have to make a decision. Are you a subcontractor? Or are you a general contractor? And if, if if we competed in the general contracting arena, then we would not be a viable subcontractor because certainly customers wouldn't use us as a competitor much. But we stay very involved. We're working in five or six states right now. We do primarily commercial interiors. Most commercial work is metal studding instead of wood studs. So we do a lot of metal stud work, interior drywall work, build outs, uh, uh, exterior coatings on buildings, uh, data rooms, computer rooms, a, a lot of just little ancillary things that are part of the finish and architectural portions of a project. And uh, we're, we're working in, well, like I said, five or six states, but we're working in a lot of arenas, institutionally, militarily, uh, privately and commercial uh, spots. We've probably done 11,000 commercial and industrial jobs in the last 45 years. We've been doing this. And yes, we just started as kids, by the way. But uh, it's 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 working well. And uh, most most areas, certainly Florida, has been strong. The Alabama uh, market in the Mobile area has been fairly strong. Over on the coast of Mississippi, we've stayed pretty busy. But I will say in the last couple of months, there has been a decided difference in the way the market feels. Uh, you know, we quote work and sometimes you can sense and feel how markets are moving. You know, we were at a point with car dealers for a long time that they had no inventory. You had to just take pretty much whatever was available and not, that's not a difference to the car dealers themselves. They just couldn't get a supply uh, coming in of inventory. Well, that has started to change some. Well, in construction, it started to change also in that uh, as interest rates went up, we don't do any residential work, so it's, we're not affected as much by mortgage rates as a residential home builder would be. But still in all, it affects people doing commercial projects, entrepreneurs that are going to take a chance on a building or renovation or, or certainly a new build. But the sense of the market on the coast is it's still very strong. Uh, that My comments are not to be taken that we're in a softening market. But there doesn't seem to be the steam that was behind this economy uh, a year or two ago, and certainly even six months ago. It's pulled back some, and we can see it in bid markets when we do put prices out. We can see it in pricing that's coming to us from suppliers. Pricing is coming down some. So to me, that would uh, be somewhat indicative of the fact that a market is tightening up and and supplies are increasing and and prices are starting to uh, to moderate a little bit. So I take that as either a plateauing in the economy or a slight pullback. And I think your GDP numbers have certainly suggested maybe it's been a slight pullback, not a major one, but a a slight one in the last couple of quarters. You're starting to see some concern from the U.N. and uh, really around the world that there could be a sort of a global recession. You know, is it just at this stage of the game a technicality on whether you call it a recession or not? 
Well, I, I, you know, certainly that became a political hot potato a couple of months ago when uh, at the end of the second quarter, at the end of June, and by July and August when numbers were starting to come out and there was a slight pullback in GDP, well, folks that wanted to call it a recession, called it a recession. Others uh, suggested otherwise. The labor market was still very tight. The labor market is still fairly tight, though it has has loosened up a little bit. We're starting to have a few people just come in and and fill out applications, you know, without any solicitation. But it's, uh, I, I think, the technicality part of it, Ricky. I think it has a lot to do with your locale, your geographic locale. And you may nationally have a, a, a pullback, but certain markets are going to be hot as a six shooter. And this one has been, and uh, it, it continues, honestly, to be a good, strong market, though it is softer than it was, I would say, a year ago. But technicality, I think it's all in the eyes of the beholder. Uh, the traditional metric has been what has GDP done quarter to quarter, and it's pulled back the last two ever so slightly, though. I, I don't know if, if I, I wouldn't consider it to be a major recession at this point. I would consider it to be a plateauing. So, Dave, you know, it's interesting. I, I like the way you said it, that the, the market has been hot as a six, you know, six shooter. But the reality is that through the through the pandemic, as you and I have discussed before, the fact that everyone shut down, but the way we reopened so quickly and we were open for business, tourism is a big driver in this market. The casinos yeah. obviously are hugely important. The work that casinos did were internationally important. In fact, the best practice had casino companies from all around the world studying, you know, what were the changes that they made. And they, they didn't make a little bit of changes. They made big time changes to the gaming floor and the whole process, how they, they trained their employees about the pandemic and all that. But anyway, the bottom line was, we stayed the course through the pandemic extraordinarily well at a time when a lot of businesses probably did pull back on some investment, maybe some on a lot of investment. And now as they sort of reevaluate where they're going, is it possible that the hot markets like ours, for example, um, could get even hotter as they start to recalibrate how they're going to spend their money going forward? Ricky, I think that's absolutely a, a great observation. And when, when I said we've plateaued, are we technically in a recession? Yes, we are in a recession. But can you take a recession and say, all right, we'll, we'll advertise a little harder, we'll work a little harder, we'll pursue markets, we'll expand our footprint a little bit. We've never taken recessions as, as a death knell that, oh my golly, uh, yeah, we've got a, a tough economy coming up. Well, we, we've taken it as, all right, we just need to work a little bit harder. But what you're saying to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, some of the northern states, I think, I think we're seeing a, a pretty decent migration of people moving south, and I think that's pretty well documented in the areas that the climate is better. It, it certainly is baby boomers of age, but even the workforce itself, there seems to be consistently a stronger work environment and availability of work in the deep south. Now, wages may be stronger in the union-laden areas of, uh, you know, in, in the steel belt areas and iron belt areas, but still in all, this area is attracting people and could we could we have a uh, some type of i would say a robust uh, expansion of our economy absolutely and i candidly think we will we've got everything just about in place uh, uh there's a group working on sidewalks along highway 90 for pedestrians and biker bikers for uh, bikers meaning uh cyclists not motorcycles but there are a lot of quality of life issues that are working extremely hard to 
provide what would be a tourism attraction that's not your traditional, you know, come come see gaming, come see golf course. It's come see the quality of life here. We do have a lot of blue water opportunities here, and uh, you've certainly interviewed people that deal with the blue water economy that's emerging on the coast. That it's, it's an industry that is a cottage industry at this point, but probably has as much potential as anything. Look on the coast this week alone at Cruising the Coast. I read that it is the largest tourism event in the state of Mississippi as a pure tourism event. Now, Mardi Gras draws a lot of people, but that's usually a one or two day deal for one parade or another parade. This has 10,000 people coming in that are in hotel rooms. They're eating in restaurants. They're going into stores. They don't rely on your school system. They're not leaning on your public services, such as at schools and uh, typically emergency room, uh, indigent care hospital uh, deals. It's there, there are venues on this coast that I think are extremely strong and we truly do have an opportunity to expand it. And I, my feeling is the horizon is, is pretty rosy when I look forward. Uh, uh, are we in a recession? I, you know, technically, yeah. But does that slow people down that want to go ahead and move forward? It's not going to bother us to the extent that, you know, we're going to retool and, and redo things. We're simply going to go forward. And I think most of your major industries, particularly in the tourism arena, are absolutely doing that. Hey, Dave, you, we'll talk a little bit more about the process behind how Florida might address the hurricane recovery efforts. Um, we don't know what we don't know. Early on, my assessment is that they may not be moving fast enough, but, you know, we'll see. But when you look at it from a more macro point of view, for example, the area that was hit the most severely is an area that encompasses about 1.5 million people. Yeah. All those homes, you know, it's a very interesting thing because not only do you have the coast that was wiped out sort of like Mississippi was for Katrina, but you have uh, a large number of homes that are still underwater because not because the, the levee didn't breach, but it overtopped. It takes a while for that water to get out, sort of like happened in New Orleans. But the number of homes, I haven't heard a number, an estimate on it yet, either. but it's going to be gargantuan when I'm that what I'm thinking. And um, so the question is that will will that I tell you what, why don't we do this? We're coming to the end of the segment. When we get on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit about what might be the ripple effect on things like uh, the goods and services that are necessary to build a house and what's going to happen with the insurance market as it relates to Florida. That's going to be an interesting one as well. But when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dave Dennis. Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm my friend Dave Dennis. He's a longtime community leader. He's had involvement with the Federal Reserve. He owns a very successful commercial-oriented business here in coastal Mississippi, but they do work throughout the Southeast. 
And uh, so Dave's got a good finger on the pulse of things. When we went to break, we're talking about not specifically the recovery effort or the response and all that. Maybe if we have time, we'll we'll get into that at the end of this at, at the end of the show. But more specifically, I'm curious if there's going to be a ripple effect. Uh, for example, around building goods or, you know, as people begin to, we know this story really well in coastal Mississippi, but as people begin to get their arms around, they're not insured. They're either underinsured or not insured. A lot of people didn't have flood insurance that are underwater right now. Will the state of uh, Florida do what, what the state of Mississippi did and create some grant programs so that the so that the economies of those areas are not wiped out? There's a lot yet to, to understand. But David, when you Dave, when you look at it on a macro level, what do you think some of the ripple effects might be for coastal Mississippi? Well, probably you're going to see materials that say, you know, we had a supply chain issue with, with many construction materials and other items over the last uh, couple of years. Those have pretty well backfilled at this point and, and we're able to get within normal lead times and in uh, backlog kind of times, we're able to get materials pretty much as, as we want if we look ahead a few weeks. What I think will probably happen, there will be a tremendous amount of construction materials that will be pulled down into uh, the Sarasota, Fort Myers, Naples areas, primarily Fort Myers, plus or minus, and Punta Gora and those areas. I think you're going to see a tremendous amount of regional uh, construction materials, labor force, and, and other resources that are going to be dedicated to trying to rebuild that area as quick as possible. Uh, probably will affect insurance rates, including ours to a degree. I've got a sister that lives in Bradenton, which uh, as as you look at the west coast of Florida, it's Tampa and then Sarasota. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm skipping over a few, but uh, you have a Tampa, Sarasota, then Bradenton. And my sister Sue is on the south side of Bradenton in Manatee County. She said that during the storm, it kind of, she said it got kind of calm. So I went outside for a few minutes, the wind wasn't blowing. And she looked up, I said, she said, I saw an airplane flying up in there. Of course, it was a hurricane hunter and the wind shifted and came on back. But they had power. Uh, I'm going to say they lost it Thursday night and or Thursday and they had power back within, I'm going to say, 36 hours, 48 at the most. So uh, her daughter that lives on the north side of Bradenton, no more than 20, I'd say 15 miles from the water. Sue is about a mile from the water. Uh, they never lost power, it flickered, but as far as the recovery, you said earlier, perhaps there was a sense of was the recovery going as quick as it could. I don't know that answer, and it's probably too early. You're a week out. It's really too early to even uh, probably speculate on that, but my sense of it would be that uh, Florida, not just Governor DeSantis, but Florida in general, has to be prepared for this, regardless of who's in leadership. They've got to be prepared for it. And, and my sense of it is, on what I'm hearing, they're they're pushing forward pretty quickly. I know they're putting temporary bridges out to Sanibel Island and some other places, Pine Island, there that are that lost bridges like Dolphin Island did in Hurricane Frederick, like we did on the Ocean Springs and Bay St. Louis bridges after Hurricane Katrina. So I think the leadership has anticipated some concerns, and they're doing the best to to mitigate them the best and quickest way possible. But I well, don't know we're, going, we're going to find we'll out. Early. We'll we'll know in a couple. We'll know in a month. Yeah, because what happens is the media will fill the void rapidly. <laughs> oh if, yeah. Uh, if there are lapses, I think 
it's going to be it's going to be very difficult because of the way this thing is staging out with, with the flood aspect of this still sort of playing out. Um, it's it's going to be tough, but it but it will be a defining moment for DeSantis, you know, like it or not. Yeah. I mean, you had already we saw some of this after Hurricane Katrina, trying to put sort of the this this um, racial. A frame that was yeah. existing in New Orleans on the coast of Mississippi, and it was almost like they were two separate disasters. We didn't get sucked into that vortex too much. I, I did experience some some media coming into the market uh, with a frame on this, uh, the wrong frame, and I tried to explain to them what the frame was, and they didn't want any part of it, unfortunately, because the the producers in New York were deciding what the agenda was going to be. But right. you've already seen some stories coming out about DeSantis. And uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna pounce. Um, I, I think that's important. You know, Ashley Edwards made the point. I think it's a good one that you know p- politics has to take a back seat. It just has to. And you got yeah. you can't let all this noise where people are trying to decide what the the narrative is going to be. DeSantis, in a way, because he's very politically astute, and what he you know some of uh, some of the more recent you know things that he's done has created tremendous focus on him. So people are going to be quick. Media, especially liberal press, is going to be really quick to point out if he's if he's struggling. And it will be interesting to see how he handles that. You know, Haley Haley wasn't attacked too often. He did get attacked from time to time, but he didn't respond. He just stayed focused on the recovery effort. And for the most part, I don't think there are very few people that will look back on Haley Barber's leadership after Hurricane Katrina and say that he didn't do that he did anything other than. Um, you know, keep it keep it focused on the people and not worry about the politics of it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's going it's going to be it's going to be it's going to be a challenge, I think, for DeSantis to find that sweet spot, just because the political, you know, arena is just so ripe with with the landmines. The way I see it. Well, and he's he's probably got a target on him anyway as a potential uh, presidential candidate. And I heard uh, on national news this morning. Lee County, Florida, which is in in the uh, Fort Myers area, Lee County, Florida. Someone suggested that they had they did not evacuate people until Tuesday morning. Some people did it earlier last week. And he just said, "Stop it." They had their reasons. We've talked to them. We know why they waited a day longer than some other people, and candidly agree with them. So just stop trying to make this an issue. That they did they did what they thought was right, and we agree with them. Just stop. Stop trying to make a, an issue and a controversy out of something that's not there. And I think if he puts his foot down quickly, he can tamp out, uh, tamp down some of these things that I'm sure are going to come up repeatedly. They, we, you know, it's interesting. We experienced some of that after Hurricane Katrina. Um, if we, if, if everyone remembers, at one point the storm was going to hit the Florida Panhandle, Correct. and then the model started shifting over on Friday prior to Katrina hitting. They moved it. They swung it all the way over to it was going to hit west of the Mississippi River. Right. And um, and so they did the mandatory evacuation of uh, New Orleans, and they didn't actually begin to order mandatory, mandatory evacuations of the coast of Mississippi until after the New Orleans thing started to play out. And the reasoning for that was, was you know, it was obviously that Mississippi was going to be more in the path now. And But the more importantly, the, the roads were going to be clogged with, with you know, doing contraflow and trying to get people out sure. of New Orleans. But 
you know, I think the the National Hurricane Center has got tremendously better, but the unique the unique atmospheric conditions that surrounded Hurricane Ian kept making a shift a little bit for. And then you got the geometry; it's coming up at a at a at a northwest path, and then you've got you know a, a state that's mostly north and south. At any moment, just it changes the trajectory tremendously when you think about where is it going to be. Uh, on the compass. So it was a tough situation, and the National Hurricane Center will be the first to tell you that it was a tough one to call. They haven't they haven't nailed it. They've gotten better at it. And you know what? The the emergency the emergency officials on the state level and local level they take the cue from the National Hurricane okay. Center. Well, and and, and uh, so people can blame DeSantis all they want, but it was it was this was a tough one to call for all the emergency uh, you know uh, people. Very well, the tough. The last three or four days, they they pretty well had it pinpointed. If you recall, early on, they they thought it probably would hit the east coast of Florida. Then they thought the Houston area, and then it bounced back down toward Big Bend, Panama City, and then over our way briefly in. Uh, when you had so many variables, there were, you know, there were Gulf streams, there were high pressures, there were two high pressures, as a matter of fact. And yeah. depending on how they reacted, uh, uh, I, I thought the National Weather Service did a pretty darn good and, job. And, and what the National Hurricane Center tried to do is have, have an unusually large cone. What ends up happening is they, they focus on that center line too much. Yeah. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. They're going to do a lot of... You know, they don't want any loss of life. Well, the last, they're the do a last lot of, three or four days, so they pretty well nailed it within about 100 miles in the, in yeah. the final three or four days. So, yeah, once you started, what happened, though, once you started doing mandatory evacuations in Tampa, and yeah. what you had is a storm surge in the Fort Myers area that I think initially was like three to four feet and turns out to be, well, you know, 18 feet. You know, that's a big difference. Right. You know? Miles, yeah. that's so a within a 24-hour period, the, the, where they were doing mandatory evacuations um, changed pretty dramatically. But again, it was a, it was the situation. It was the atmospheric conditions. It was it was the situation. And people want to make they want to blame somebody that somebody messed up. But they do. You know, we, we've been there before. It's oh, a yeah. tough call. Uh, you want to save lives, man. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what that's what this is all about. You do hey. your best, and that's that's not a political commentary. Whoever's in charge, Republican, Democrat, doesn't make any difference. They're going to do everything in their power to make it work. That's right. Hey, listen, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dave Dennis. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about global economy and what he thinks about sort of where we're headed. And then uh, if we got anything else, we'll, we'll uh, fill the rest of the time with good stuff. We'll see you after this break. Live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Uh, my friend Dave Dennis from Specialty Contractors, uh, longtime community leader, someone I've always admired. He's a good friend. We've uh, we've known each other and worked together closely in the community, both before and after Katrina. And uh, yeah, I just admire him greatly. Dave, what are you hearing from your friends around the Federal Reserve these days? 
Well, realistically, you know, inflation clearly is is public enemy number one at the Fed at this point in time. You've seen it with the 75 basis points or three quarters of a point rise in the cost of funds that banks basically borrow money for. Uh, you've seen that. Their goal is to tamp down inflation and get it back down into the hopefully 2% range. And, you know, realistically, uh, when Congress did the first stimulus, and th this will sound a little political and I don't intend for it to be, but it's it's a reality of how the monetary system works. So if it's uh, taken from a political perspective, it doesn't need to be, it needs to be just pure economics. When the first stimulus package took place in uh, early 2000, the late spring of 2000, I thought that was a really good stroke. It needed to happen. We were at, uh, we were at a point of uncertainty. Most of us didn't know what in the world was gonna happen in the economy, how it was gonna unfold. Did we have a job? Could we go into work? We, we just did not have a footprint to look at and see where this is where we're gonna go. So I felt like the first stimulus was, was good. The second one, perhaps on a smaller level, but when it continued to happen time after time after time, and it got Christmas treed and so many things were added to it that were totally irrelevant to trying to jumpstart an economy, it just became very inflationary because if you take, take an economy, and I'm gonna do like a, a little show and tell, if you had an economy that was this size and, and the GDP was this size, and X amount of money was in there where well, the GDP constricted right after the pandemic started and we continue to pour more, more money into it. So what in the world's gonna happen? You've got a smaller economy with more money chasing it. So absolutely you're gonna have inflation. Well, you kind of anticipated that, but when we continue to just pour more money and more money and more money into the economy, all that did was exacerbate the, the problem on inflation. And that's what you're seeing right now. That's why you saw uh, what I uh, think Bureau of Labor Statistics and, and other folks that are putting out numbers had us, you know, at 8%. Then we are people suggesting we're from seven to nine. I think realistically, if you looked around and you talked to people, and I will not quote Fed people on this, but if you talked to people and really dug into the metrics of it, your actual inflation rate was in a very high uh uh, teens in the 16 to 18 to 19 range. And every one of us know that. Go to the grocery store, go other places. Uh, the 8%, you just had to shake your head and said, I don't think so. So then real inflation rate was, I'll use 20 as, a, as just a benchmark, but it was in the 15 to 20% range realistically from everyone's point of view I talked to. So the Fed is having to stamp that down or we're all going to be in trouble because Wages are not keeping up with the cost of goods, the cost of a bag of rice or a gallon of milk or a gallon of gas, even though gas is pulled back down and that's one of the visible items, but that's not really happening in food prices. That's not happening in grain stocks. And the Ukrainian situation we talked about earlier certainly doesn't help that. But the Fed is deeply concerned about inflation and what it really does to erode our dollar. Great Britain's at a 10.1% uh, inflation rate as of their last uh, reporting, which probably means they're at 15 to 20. The, the euro has taken a hit. The dollar is as strong as, as molasses right now. And you know, folks say, well, great, we want a real strong dollar. Well, sure we do. But it also has an impact on when we try to sell our goods overseas. If, if someone was spending 10 euros to buy uh, something we were selling, they're now having to spend 12 and 15 euros. So it affects things. Uh, there's a balance in trying to get the exchange rates 
balanced and stable. And I think that's what not only the Federal Reserve of the United States is doing, but other central banks around the world are doing. Uh, there was a big conference out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming in late August. The Fed, Fed normally doesn't meet in August, but uh, we'd meet out in Jackson Hole and just meet with central bankers and go over where the economy is, where it needs to go, what needs to be done to put it in a position of, of running like a fine sewing machine, so to speak. And and the the real stated goal is is uh, sustained employment and low inflation generally at two percent. And I think that is what the Fed is absolutely determined to do. And the ace we have in the hole is the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency for much of the world, for many transactions, most transactions in the world. So uh, I'll put one other little point in. Our GDP is, uh, these are, I, I didn't check this morning, but our GDP, let's say it's 24 to 25 trillion. Our accumulated debt is about 30 trillion. So we are realistically at about 120% accumulated debt to GDP. So 120% debt to GDP. Going back in time, if you look, Greece tumbled in like 123 or 125%. Iceland went down at 128 or so percent. I think with the reserve currency, we have a little more tendency to be able to do things. So um, I'm, I'm going to say the Fed is pushing very hard to get to a lower inflation rate. So that's what I'm hearing from them. Well, we're out of time, Dave. I'm real still amazed that these experts thought that this was transitory, given the realities of the oh, supply geez. chains and all that. What a mistake that was. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll continue the conversation. I always enjoy visiting, Dave. You're, you've got a good finger on the pulse of the economy, and we'll uh, we'll continue this, this conversation in the very near future, my friend. Well, I hope so, and I appreciate it. Thank you for your hard work. It's a salute to the military today. It was outstanding. You're welcome, man. My, my pleasure. This has been Dave Dennison. We'll see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.